0: Tribulation, the Bible calls it, a lot of ministers call it the great tribulation. Uh, I'm not going to split hairs with anybody. I know everybody has trials and tribulations. But I'm talking about a specific designated period of time that is very prevalent in the Bible. I'll just refer to it as a tribulation. There's numerous names for it, and I'll share that with you in just a moment. But the tribulation is one of the most significant periods Of God's dealing with humankind and certainly occupies a most prominent place in God's prophetic plan, more space is dedicated to that seven year period than any other comparable time frame in the Bible. So the tribulation period is obviously of great importance to God because He talks about it a lot in the scripture. To verify that, the tribulation period is mentioned over 50 times in the Old Testament alone. God is very concerned about this seven-year time period. In the Old Testament, it's known as the day of calamity. It's known as the day of wrath. It's known as the day of the Lord's wrath. It's known as the day of Jacob's trouble. It's known as the day of vengeance of our God. It's known as a time of trouble. And it's also known as the day of the Lord. But what I would like to have you notice tonight, very specifically, is in the 50 times, the over 50 times that the tribulation period is mentioned in the Old Testament, in every case... It is talking about the nation of Israel. And that's real important for you to remember, and I'll come back to that at a future date. The tribulation period is a relatively short period of time where anyone who choose not to follow God before the rapture and was left behind will experience worldwide hardships, disasters, famine, war, pain, pain, Suffering, which will terminate, the seven-year tribulation period, will terminate 75% of all human life on the earth before the second coming of Christ takes place at the end of the tribulation. So let me ask you again. We're talking about the tribulation period. You want to be here during that time? I believe the tribulation will occur before the second coming of Jesus, and there is a difference between the rapture and the second coming of Christ. The rapture is when the Bible says an angel will sound a trumpet, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. The church, which is alive and remain, shall be caught up to meet him in the clouds, the Bible said. The second coming of Christ is that he's coming through the clouds back to the earth, and he will set up an earthly kingdom from which he will reign for a thousand years. So there's a difference between the rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ. I believe the tribulation will occur before the second coming of Christ. It will be the last seven years in all, being the last of Daniel's prophecy of 70 weeks. And we talked about that uh, again I believe it was last fall. I went through Daniel's 70 weeks, if those of you that remember that. The uh, most Bible scholars, 99% of them, I guess, agree that 69 of of, of the 70 of Daniel's weeks have already been fulfilled. There's a gap. I'll mention this again in a moment, but there's a gap between the 69 and 70th week, and we call it the church age. It's approximately a 2,000-year period of time from the outpouring of the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter 2 until the rapture of the church. As I taught last year, each week represents seven years. When you talk about Daniel's 70 weeks, each week represents seven years with the timetable beginning from Artaxerxes' order to rebuild the second temple in Jerusalem. There's a lot of different conflicts. There was four different orders. Uh, for the Jews to go back to Jerusalem and build different things. The walls, the city, the temple, etc. I'm not going to split hairs over anybody with the time thing along that line. Um, People have different opinions about it, especially when you want to get into preterism with somebody. And dear God, that's a long, drawn-out subject. But after 69 weeks, the prophecy says, after 69 weeks has has been fulfilled, 69 of the 70 weeks that Daniel talks about, When 69 of those weeks have been fulfilled, the the prophecy says that the Messiah will be cut off. And that is essentially talking about the crucifixion of Christ or the death of Christ. So this is seen as creating a break of indeterminate length in the timeline with one week or seven years remaining to be fulfilled. And I believe this break, as I just said, represents a church age which will be about 2000 years. Let me continue. This seven-year week this 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 it's seven years. The tribulation period will last for seven years. Daniel refers to it as a week, but you understand Daniel 70 weeks and you understand that last and seventh week is actually seven years. The Bible goes on to divide that final week into two periods of three and a half years each, from the two three and a half year periods in Daniel's prophecy, where the last seven years are divided into two three and a half year periods. These two time periods is also based on the book of Daniel, where he refers to it as time, times, and a half a time interpreted as a year two years and a half year so one year plus two years is three years plus a half a year is three and a half years in the book of Revelation John the Revelator describes it as a thousand two hundred and three score days in one place and then later on in Revelation he mentions it as forty and two months uh, the prophetic month and we talked about this last year average, About thirty days. So, if you take twelve hundred and sixty and divide it by thirty, you get the 42 months, or the three and a half years. So, Daniel and Revelation, the book of Revelation, agrees that the tribulation period will be seven years long and can be divided into two parts, three and a half years in each in each part. That is a definition, if you will, of the tribulation. Let me give you the purpose, very briefly. Of the tribulation. The tribulation serves a dual purpose in the divine plan. It is to first reconcile the Jews back to Christ. I want everybody here tonight to understand that. In my very strong, fervent opinion, the bottom line purpose of the tribulation period is to bring the Jews and Christ back together. And that will ultimately happen at the very end of the tribulation period during the battle of armageddon but it is to also uh, allows an opportunity for god to pour out judgment for all wickedness of all mankind primarily because of their rejection of christ and plus in addition to living a very wicked anti-god lifestyle So that's the purpose of the tribulation. Now let me say it again. Purpose number one is to reconcile the Jews back to Christ. Purpose number two is God is going to pour out judgment on all mankind who were wicked, that did not live a life pleasing to Christ, those that missed the rapture. So let me talk to you for a few minutes tonight about the timeline of the tribulation. And what I want you to understand tonight is I'm going to go through a very brief... Timeline of the tribulation. I'm trying to build a little platform, lay a little foundation here, if you will, uh, to go through a little brief timeline. And I'm just going to hit some high points. And I hope tonight that I can. If you're not familiar with prophecy, and most of you are, but if you're not familiar with this, perhaps if you can re, uh, remember this when we get to back to church next Wednesday night, if the Lord tarries, uh, I'll go. I want to go into more detail about what's going to happen during the tribulation period. And I'll ask you again, do you want to be here? I don't. I can promise you, you don't want to be here during the tribulation period. You don't. No matter what it takes, no matter how much it costs, no matter what you have to do, you do not want to miss the rapture. Not trying to scare anybody, but the material in and of itself is going to probably paralyze some of you folks into a coma. Um, and that's, that's not my intent. I'm just going to teach Scripture. I'm just going to teach the Bible. I don't believe in scare tactics, but just with the content of Scripture, and the Bible is very clear on what's coming to our world in the very near future, I can promise you, you don't want to be here. And if you are here, during the tribulation, you'll look back and say, you know, the things that God asked me to do that I didn't want to do, it would have been so simple if I just went ahead and done it, been raptured out of here, and I wouldn't have to put up with all this stuff. You don't want to be here. Bottom line, first and foremost, and I just shared with you, when God is done, there's going to be three categories of judgment He's going to pour out during the tribulation period. Two of them is going to happen in the first three and a half years. The third one is going to happen in the last three and a half years. Seventy-five percent of the human race is going to be wiped out during the tribulation period. That don't make your odds of survival very good. Sorry. You want to make the rapture. All those people that Hem Hall around about, oh, God wants me to do this, and God wants me, and I just don't have time, and da-da-da-da-da. There's coming a time when you would wish you had made time. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just trying to have you understand the sobriety of this moment. So for the purpose of the timeline that I'm about to share, I'll be a little, a little less precise and I want to use a very popular manner of speaking since we're going for a very simple overview tonight of the tribulation rather than a deeper study which Lord willing will start next Wednesday night. This is intended to be a very simple attempt to guide you through the big picture of Bible eschatology. That's a neat word that if you can learn it, and memorize it, and use it here and there. It makes people think you're it'll make people think you're smart. It just means prophecy. Uh, but it'll, we'll we'll take you through this uh, through the pre-millennial interpretation of many scriptures on these matters, when interpreted in a straightforward and, re- and and responsible literal fashion, as far as possible. in the passages of scripture that I'll be sharing with you in just a moment. There is a degree of uncertainty regarding the precise timing of some of these events, but this is an attempt to put together something that would reflect a broad understanding and interpretation of the relevant scriptures and where they are equally valid origins as possible. So let me talk to you first of all about the tribulation and what's going to happen before the tribulation. Everybody say before the tribulation. I'd like to go tonight to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and verse 6. Before the tribulation, I believe, is going to be the rapture of the church. And if we have time uh, during this prophecy uh, time period, it, it depends on how you respond and how the crowds are and uh, what have you, uh, we'll continue. But if you lose interest and crowds fall off on Wednesday night, then we'll move on to something else. I know prophecy is a very difficult thing for people to navigate their mind and heart through sometimes. But I'd like to do a a little study one Wednesday night if we have time on why some people think or believe there's going to be a pre-tribulation rapture and why some people believe that there's going to be a mid-tribulation rapture and why some people believe there's going to be a post or a rapture after the tribulation period. As far as I know and as far as I'm concerned, the two most prominent uh, perspectives on on when the rapture will take place, most people, I can say with confidence that most people believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. There are a few people that believe in a post-tribulation rapture, but there's even fewer people that believe in a mid-tribulation rapture. I'm going to teach a pre-tribulation rapture. That's what I believe. If you believe otherwise, you're entitled to that. Uh, if, if, if if you're right, and we go through half of the tribulation or all the tribulation, God's able to sustain His church. In my opinion, there's no one scripture that says one way or the other. There's scriptures that we have that I, I believe builds a good case. I believe we have more scripture that builds a good case for pre-tribulation rapture than there are scriptures that support mid-tribulation rapture or post-tribulation. So people have even talked about it so much they've even shortened the terminology of it. They call it pre-trib instead of tribulation. It's pre-trib, mid-trib, and post-trib. It's got to the point now where you go to a Mexican restaurant and they bring you chips and salsa. People decide, do we want to pray pre-chip, mid-chip, or post-chip? I like to just put a chip on right up here and just say I've got a chip on my shoulder so and just let it go with that. But I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. Let's look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, a very compelling scripture. Paul said, and now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. And this is talking about the Antichrist. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Notice this next phrase. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked or the Antichrist be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness and unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. This is telling me that there's going to be people that knew God that missed the rapture. Okay, and for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie. Notice verse twelve, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure and unrighteousness I just wanted to mention verse 12 a lot of people believe that they can still be saved after the rapture I do not I do not see anywhere in the scripture where it teaches a redemptive plan I've heard people talk about the two witnesses in Jerusalem and the 144,000 and all of that kind of stuff you'll never take those two subjects and prove to me that you can be saved after the rapture furthermore if you can't be right with God now, how in the world are you going to get right with God after the rapture? It's not going to be a great atmosphere. You'll essentially have the devil incarnate in flesh ruling this world. That creates a great environment to get a hold of God, don't it? If not our church is not going to be here, maybe a few preachers. <laughs> Hope I'm not one of them, <laughs> Uh it's going to be tough, man, I'm telling you. When we get into the book of Revelation, you'll see. What I want to point out to you tonight is verse 7. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. I taught last year that the mystery of iniquity, in my opinion, goes all the way back to the Tower of Babel is where it started to work, and it's come all the way, fast forward to Babylon at the end of the Old Testament, Rome through the New Testament, and then the resurrection of the old Roman Empire, and, and there's a lot of components that goes along with that that we talked about last year. The mystery of iniquity doth already work, he said. Only he who now letteth will let, until he be taken out of the way. If you look in Strong's Concordance, that word, those two words, now letteth, means to hold down or to hold down fast. Uh, it can be literally or figuratively. It's taking the Holy Spirit or the church as the restrainer. Then it follows that if the Antichrist is to rise to power, then the church must be removed before he is able to be revealed. So I believe tonight, based on this verse and many others, that the rapture will take place before the Antichrist is revealed. And I'm going to show you in a minute where the tribulation will start, where it will technically begin. Uh, so I want you to understand, he who that now letteth will let, the church is repressing or holding the, the spirit of iniquity, the revealing of the Antichrist. The church right now being present in the world is preventing him from being, uh, being revealed. Uh, so I believe that before the, the tribulation can begin, the rapture of the church will have to take place. Now let me move on again. This is just topical, and I'm moving quickly through the tribulation period. The next point that I want to mention to you, which I believe will be shortly after the rapture of the church, will be the rise into power of the Antichrist. Let's look at Daniel chapter 7, verses 23 and 24. The Bible said, Thus he said, The fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon the earth, which shall be diverse from all kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth and shall tread it down and break it in pieces. And the 10 horns out of his out of this kingdom are 10 kings that shall arise. And another shall arise or shall rise after them, and he shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue 3 kings. Most Bible commentaries will tell you that before the antichrist can make any agreement with Israel, which is what we're coming to next, before the Antichrist can make a prophesied agreement uh, with the nation of Israel, he must be in a position of power. He is going to have to have some huge level, be it some incredible level of authority before he can make a peace agreement with the nation of Israel. So, if he's going to be placed in this position, so it logically follows that his political ascent will be through somehow the revived Roman Empire, and it must begin at some point before the 70th and final week of Daniel's prophecy can begin. So I believe he will arise out from among ten kings who will give their authority to the Antichrist to rule, despite him, his being somehow different to them in power initially. What we just read in Daniel is Daniel saw ten horns that represented ten kingdoms. And of those ten kingdoms was obviously ten kings. Out of the middle of those ten horns comes another horn, which is the Antichrist, and he subdues uh, and becomes to a place, comes to a place of power and authority. So shortly after the rapture of the church, the Antichrist is going to be given some degree of of authority to negotiate a peace accord with the nation of Israel which brings me to the next my next point which is when i believe the commencement of the tribulation period will take place a lot of people have believed and i've been taught for years all of my life that the tribulation period starts as soon as the rapture takes place and i don't believe that now you're entitled to believe what you want to believe and you can be wrong if you want to but that's up to you i'm just kidding A lot of people have taught that for years, that as soon as the rapture takes place, to use this in a literal terminology, all of heaven is going to break loose on this earth is literally what's going to happen, and um, it's going to be bad news. I don't believe it's going to quite be that way. I believe the church has to be raptured, and there's going to have to be some things take place uh, to put the Antichrist in some position of power and authority, and I don't believe it's going to happen overnight. I do believe the world is going to recover to some degree. All the news networks worldwide is going to spin the rapture. They're going to spin it. They're going to put a spin on it. They're going to make it sound like, eh, maybe it happened and these people are just hiding somewhere and some of them are still hiding and we found two or three that said they were raptured and they weren't and all that. They're going to put a spin on it and somehow, believe it or not, there's enough well-to-do people in the church that... I believe the economy is going to take a hit bad when the rapture takes place. There's going to be a lot of vacant jobs, man. There's going to be a lot of vacant business owners. I mean, uh, just here in this church, there will be several businesses that people are depending on. You're not going to be there. You're not be there to answer their phone and, and, and re- return their voicemails and text messages and all that. You're going to be gone. And I believe the media will put a spin on it. And somehow the world is going to kind of settle down and enter into some pattern. The Antichrist is going to, he's going to start saying things that's going to resonate with people and he's going to just woo people over to him and to what he's saying and so on. Which brings me to my next point and I need to hurry. In Daniel chapter 9 verse 27, I want to read just the first line of this. It's a very long verse as you can see on the screen. But the Bible says in reference to the Antichrist, and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. The Antichrist is going to confirm a covenant of peace with the nation of Israel for seven years. He said, okay, we're going to make sure that nobody messes with the nation of Israel for seven years. You're going to have peace. Everything's going to be fine and dandy. I'm going to tell you, if you folks are keeping up with the news right now, you need to be kind of nervous right now. You need to be kind of prayed up right now. Israel is wanting to go after Iran over their nuclear armament facilities and what have you. You need to think about that because we have a president in office right now that's not that crazy about the Jewish people. Now, I understand that he's gotten on board, especially when Netanyahu said that we're going to attack Israel when we want to and we're not telling the United States about it. Well, that has disaster written all over it. I believe they would have done it, but somehow the White House and and our Congress and what have you has kind of gotten back on the side of the Jewish people and said, okay, let's work this out or whatever. But it's the last I heard, unless you've heard different, they're still on track to want to take on Iran and take that their nuclear ability away from them. That ain't looking good in the Middle East, man. It ain't looking good. And, and some of you folks that, that really don't pay attention to the news, all this upheaval in the Middle East last year, when a lot of these Muslim com- uh, countries, their presidents and dictators was overthrown. you think that's just happenstance? you think that's just happening, man? Not in a million years it's not. There's a, there's a, a, a table being set. Uh, God is, is working a masterpiece right here in front of our eyes. So the Antichrist, after the rapture, will rise to some level of power and authority, and then he will sit down at the negotiating table with Israel. Listen very carefully. When Israel signs that seven-year covenant with him, that's when the clock starts ticking on the tribulation period. You can go go from that moment seven years into the future and you'll be seeing the, the Battle of Armageddon taking place. I feel very strongly that when the Antichrist signs that covenant treaty with the nation of Israel, the clock starts ticking for the last seven years of human life on this earth as we know it. The Antichrist will make an agreement with Israel for seven years, likely negotiating some peace settlement in the region as he is depicted as being a conqueror through peace initially. The Bible is very clear on this in Revelation chapter 6 and verse 2. He is the much maligned white horse that the media in Hollywood has made fun of. The four horses, the first four uh, seals of the book of Revelation. Uh, but he is coming as a conqueror. He's on a white horse. He has a bow on his shoulders, but there's no arrows. He's coming not for war, but for peace. And the Bible is very clear. And it will appear as a time of peace and security in Israel, although the same cannot be said for the rest of the world, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 3. So let me talk about the first half of the tribulation period. Are y'all kind of with me so far? We've talked about the rapture. We've talked about the Antichrist coming to power. And we've talked about the Antichrist signing a peace covenant with the nation of Israel. So let's talk about the first half of the tribulation period. What's going to be going on after the rapture of the church? The Antichrist comes to power. He signs a peace agreement with Israel. What's next? Now you begin the seven seals. The seventh seal is uh, is seven trumpets. And these are all judgments that when I start teaching them next Wednesday night, some of you probably are going to struggle to even believe it. How in the world can this stuff happen? If you don't believe it can happen, go ask Pharaoh what happened when he wouldn't let the children of Israel go. God has set precedent. Go ask Sodom and Gomorrah what can happen. Ask Noah's world what can happen. God has an ability to pour out judgment, and it is mind-boggling when he starts doing it. It's mind-boggling. The Bible said it's going to get so bad in the tribulation period. That men are going to walk to the mountains and they're going to cry for the mountains and rocks to fall on us. I'd rather be crushed by a boulder than to go through what the tribulation period is bringing to me, to my family, to my, to my life. So God will send seven, or will send plagues of judgment on the world, and they're symbolized in the Book of Revelation as seven seals. The seventh seal is seven trumpets. The cumulative effect of these judgments is horrifying because a major portion of the world's population will be wiped out by them and the global economy will face greater strain than it ever has done before with large proportions of vital industries destroyed. Jesus seems to indicate that these signs are only the beginning of sorrows or troubles Of the tribulation period in Matthew 24. Worse is still to come. As Jesus warns that unless. The still to come. Judgments were cut short. Then no flesh would survive. And we'll get into this again next week. The seven seals next week. And and go as far as we can. We'll get into seven trumpets. The next major thing that happens during the course of the tribulation period is the appearance of two witnesses. Now you ask twenty people who they think the two witnesses are, and you'll probably get twenty different opinions. No one really knows. Everybody seems to think it's gonna be Moses and Elijah because there's on Mount Transfiguration. I don't find any scripture to support that. Some people believe it'll be Moses and John the Baptist and Elijah and John the Baptist and Enoch and John the Baptist and heard all kinds of different ideas and opinions. I have no clue and I'm not going to even speculate. But the Bible does say that two witnesses will be raised up to prophesy for a period of 42 months, which is the equivalent of half of the tribulation's length. It's unclear about when their time of testimony or prophecy will run, but it is but as it is made clear that it is the antichrist who will make war against them and kill them. And Jerusalem, before they are bodily resurrected and raptured three and a half days later, according to Revelation chapter 11, verses 7 through 9. As a result of their deaths, uh, will occur sometime, or a result of their death will occur sometime around the midpoint of the tribulation, and their ministry must therefore run throughout the first half of the tribulation period. So, based on common belief, These two witnesses will be raised up uh, shortly after the rapture of the church, shortly after the Antichrist comes to power. We'll talk more about that later on. And then you come to the midpoint of the tribulation period, and I find this is very interesting. Now keep in mind, we're at the midpoint of the tribulation. The Antichrist and Israel are doing pretty good right now. They're in this peace agreement. Everything along that line is going pretty good, but at the same time, everything's pretty kosher between Israel and, and, and the Antichrist. Now you've had seven seals of judgment. I'm going to talk about those in the next couple of Wednesday nights. I'm, I'm, it's horrible. It's horrible. Then you're going to have seven trumpets. They're worse than the seven seals. So now you're at the midway point of the tribulation period, and it is nothing but chaos on this planet. But God has given to the Antichrist, has empowered him, has enabled him to keep peace, to kind of keep the world together while it is reeling, while it is just in the point of just just horrible disaster. The Antichrist is keeping it together. And I find it very interesting when you get to the midpoint of the tribulation that there's war in heaven in Revelation 12, 7 through 12. The Bible indicates that Satan and his demons engage in war against the archangel Michael and the angels in heaven, and they are defeated, causing them to be permanently barred access from the throne to accuse the saints. Instead, they're thrown down to earth, and Satan, aware that time is short before Jesus returns to complete his redemptive work for the nation of Israel, must attempt to stop God's redemptive plan by preventing Israel from fulfilling the prophecy of recognizing Jesus as their Messiah and declaring as Jesus prophesied they would do in Matthew twenty three thirty nine, They will proclaim around the end of the tribulation period, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God. They sang that one time and they rejected him a week later. But the next time they sing it, it's going to be different. The next high point of the tribulation, moving uh, on into the midpoint of the tribulation. And this is very interesting to me. Now, the Antichrist up until now is just a brilliant, intelligent man that has an ability to speak peace and tranquility to a world that's on its heels, whose economy is shaken, who the people are they're going kind of crazy because they still can't, reconciling their mind how millions of people just evaporated off of the planet and economy is not good. There's been a lot of upheaval. There's been a lot of horrible things that's happened. So it's interesting to me that it finally gets to the point around the midpoint of the tribulation in Revelation 13, 1 through 5. We'll not read that. But the Antichrist apparently is wounded or as some commentators believe, is potentially, he even potentially stages a false resurrection, causing the world to marvel at this miracle, which is really a direct act of Satan, who now, uh, according to some commentaries, believe that he now directly empowers the Antichrist and gives him authority to rule for the final half of the tribulation. At the same time, the false prophet, who is the Antichrist go-to man, if you will, he does all the dirty work, the false prophet will command the world. There'll be a command given around midway point of the tribulation period by the false prophet that everybody alive on this planet is going to have to worship the antichrist as God. And to make this happen, is when a lot of commentators believe that this is when the mark of the beast will happen. And as a consequence of the mark of the beast, you will be forced to worship his image wherever you see it. This little tiny tiny segment is kind of Hitler esque to me, because there was a lot of people in the Third Reich that believed that Hitler was some kind of divine being, and uh, they had his pictures hanging everywhere, every governmental building, people had them hanging in their houses and what have you. It's almost like it was God hanging on their windows, kind of what this reminds me of. The The world is going to be convinced through the incredible intelligence and uh, just demonic influence is all I can say. They're going to be convinced that the Antichrist is God and people need to worship him. And to worship him, ultimately, you'll take his mark, the mark of the beast, which is 666, and you'll worship his image. And if you refuse to worship his image and if you refuse to take the mark of the beast, you'll be destroyed. No questions asked. No mercy. You take it or you die. You want to be here? Come on, fun lovers. Think church is not necessary and living for God is, you know, whatever. You know, God will be patient with me. God understands. What are you going to do at that time? When you pray, and god don't hear you you know what's going on in heaven during this seven-year tribulation period what is it the marriage supper of the lamb god's getting married to his bride man he's fixing to go on a honeymoon that's going to last for an eternity he ain't worried about all this stuff going on he's got angels taking care of stuff down here on this planet they're the ones pouring out these seals and vials and and trumpets and all those judgments angels are doing that read the book of Revelation. Jesus is off somewhere with his bride having a wonderful time and you're screaming down here for God to ask this mountain to fall on you because you don't want to have to face another tomorrow of this tribulation period. You want to be here? Oh, come on, Brother Murphy. I know. I know. And I, some may say, you know, Pastor, I I believe some of that stuff and, you know, I'm going to play it a little while longer. I don't think the world's quite ready for the rapture yet. <laughs> so uh, I'm just going to gamble another day or two, and yeah, I'll, I'll get my life straight. Since the day of Pentecost, our world has been full of good intentions, and it hasn't saved anybody. The Bible said to work out your own soul's salvation with fear and trembling, and the Bible also said today is a day of salvation, not tomorrow. And then comes the biggie. Once the Antichrist is empowered and people begin to worship him as God, he's going to decide that this covenant he made with the nation of Israel is not that big of a deal and never did really like them Jewish people that much anyway and they've been a thorn in my flesh since I've been in power for the past three and a half years. Tell you what I'm going to do. A satanically empowered Antichrist is going to take away their sacrifices. They're not going to sacrifice sheep anymore in preparation for some Messiah. Don't you understand? I'm him, and I don't require all of that, and I'm going to stop it, and he's going to declare himself to the Jewish to the Jewish people as God, and he's going to turn on Israel, breaking his seven-year agreement with them, and then they're going to realize, wow, we thought he was the Messiah the entire time, and he's not, and it's going get, to start getting real tricky during the last half of the tribulation period. He is going to commit what Daniel calls the abomination of desolation. I believe that somehow, somewhere along the line, when the Jews have just about finished their temple and they're ready for true Messiah worship, they're ready for their Messiah to truly come, and they're going to put him in that temple, they're thinking perhaps that maybe it's the Antichrist and we're getting all this ready. The the Antichrist says, no, we're not going to do it this way. You're going to start worshiping me and you're going to quit all this sacrifice business that you've been doing in preparation for some Messiah. I'm him. And somewhere along the line, an image of the beast, an image of the Antichrist will probably be set up somewhere in the temple and they'll be commanded to worship it. And then it's somewhere along this line that the Antichrist will get tired of the two witnesses in Jerusalem I just talked about. And I find this really interesting, and the Bible is very emphatic along this line. He's going to break his covenant with Israel, and he's going to set himself up as the Messiah. The world's going to worship him as God, and so on. And he's going to kill these two witnesses in Jerusalem. Whoever they are He's going to kill them. The Bible said after three and a half days later, they're going to be resurrected and carried into heaven. And this is what's interesting. As the Bible said, the whole world is going to know it. The media is going to show every bit of that live. The whole entire planet is going to see these two witnesses resurrected and into heaven. If I was here at the tribulation for anything, it would be that. I'd just like to have a front row seat to see how all of that's going to come down. Otherwise, I have no desire to be here. I can promise you that. And then, as the midpoint of the tribulation begins to move and wane to the last half of the tribulation, war against Israel commences. Satan seeking to destroy Israel will be thwarted by God, providing an escape for its inhabitants into the desert. Jesus warned that she must flee to the mountains. Zechariah 14, uh, chapter 14, verse 2, suggests that only half of Jerusalem's inhabitants will escape. They will likely head into the Jordanian desert, uh, which appears to be exempt for some reason from the influence and rule of the Antichrist. And then we begin the last half of the tribulation. When the Antichrist sets himself up as God, God says, okay, it's time to start winding this down to a close. And this is where the vials of wrath, the Bible says, begins to be poured out in my opinion the vows of wrath that's going to be poured out of vows of wrath of of, of wrath and judgment that's going to be poured out in the second half of the tribulation is going to make the seals and the trumpets in the front part of it look like a picnic i want you folks to understand in the tribulation period tomorrow is not going to get better Looking at the progression of the warnings given by three angels in Revelation 14, 6-11, this seems uh, like the probable order of the vials of wrath. They begin as God still continues His desire for mankind to repent, but somehow they don't. They, they do just the exact opposite, and they, they make a league with the Antichrist, and, and they start accepting the mark of the beast, and they turn against God. Man is now behemoth against God. And there's some real critical things that starts to happen in the second half of the tribulation period. I don't know how exactly to say by way of description what I want to say here. There's a purpose to the first half of the tribulation period. It's like it's to rattle the world. It's like to shake the world. It's like to completely knock the world off balance where Man can't get a grip. You can't figure it out or whatever. you're, You're scared. You're scared. And tomorrow's not better than today and so on. But then the second half of the tribulation period comes and there is just no comfort nowhere, man. God gets brutal in wrath. And it comes through the seven vials. The Bible mentions in the book of Revelation, and this is real alarming to me and it bothers me because the Bible don't tell you what it is. But between the seven trumpets and the seven vials, there's three woes. And John said they're too drastic and brutal to even write about it. I don't know what that is. It's going to get real tricky. So you have the seven vials are being poured out. And then in Revelation chapter 17 becomes the destruction of the harlot of Babylon. And this is where God goes all the way back to this spirit of iniquity that began at the Tower of Babel that later on became Babylon. It began with Nimrod and his very wicked wife. It's where the horoscope and astrology and all that stuff began. God has said, I've had enough of all of this. So the harlot Babylon, and this is interesting to me, that the harlot Babylon seems to be a religious entity. And as the aforementioned events take place, the angel reports that the Antichrist turns on a, a a religious organization. It's the harlot of Babylon. It's the religion of Babylon, in my opinion. The religion of Babylon can be defined in several different ways, and it includes several, several different groups of people. There's something very obvious in the book of Revelation, and I mentioned this last year. It backfired on me pretty huge, and I'm going to be very careful in mentioning it here tonight. It's Bible, uh, but nonetheless, it, 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 it needs to be taught, And but I, I want to be careful with it. The Antichrist turns on a religious organization. The Bible describes this religious organization as one that has global reach and a dominion over many peoples. It seems that the prophecy refers to a Rome-based religion, the city on seven hills and perhaps even to its religious center, or some other global religious grouping that will in the future be based there. The Antichrist and those of his kingdom are said to be jealous of her power and reach of this religious organization and will use her and betray her, causing her complete and total destruction. That's the harlot of Babylon. That's the the great whore that the book of Revelation talks about. It's a religious entity or entities. It's going to be destroyed. And then in the next chapter, the very next chapter, and to me the focus here is Babylon. It's where the spirit of iniquity began to work in this planet. And God is destroying it. He's nipping it in the bud. He's cutting it off. In the next chapter in Revelation 18, you have the destruction of the economic Babylon. The economic system of the Antichrist is identified with Babylon because it could very well refer to uh it could refer to a place like Rome, it could refer to a place like Jerusalem, or another city which the Antichrist adopts as a center for his kingdom. Particular judgment is reserved against its decadence, and she will be destroyed by divine judgment in a single day, in a single day, the Bible said. And this particular judgment will cause global sadness, and people suffer the collapse and loss of their economic riches and materialistic lifestyles, so in In Revelation chapter 17, they lose their religion. In Revelation chapter 18, they lose their economics or their money. And then comes the conclusion of the tribulation period, which is the battle of Armageddon. Daniel chapter 11 talks about it. Revelation 16, Revelation 19. When the sixth vial of judgment is poured out, the Bible said it will dry up the river Euphrates, which will allow the king from the east, which is the Orient, China, those eastern powers, they'll be able to cross over to meet the Antichrist forces gathered in Israel's Valley of Jezreel. I've been there. It is gorgeous. It's beautiful. It's hard to imagine. As a matter of fact, Mount Carmel, where Elijah defeated the prophets of Baal, um, Mount Carmel looks out over uh, the Valley of Jezreel. It's beautiful. It's hard to Look at that place and imagine something of this consequence going on there. But it is here in the Valley of Jezreel that they will engage in battle around Jerusalem. And Zechariah chapter 14 verses 1 through 4 talks about it. They will engage in battle. It will be Russia, China, the Orient. Uh, there satellite countries around the Mediterranean Sea that will join in. And their idea is to literally push the nation of Israel into the Mediterranean Sea. And destroy them for good. That's going to be their idea. But the Bible said. That Jesus returns. He comes back. The second coming of Christ. He comes back to the Mount of Olives. The protected place. for Israel is believed to be. In the Jordanian desert. In the land of Edom. Which is as I mentioned a moment ago. Specifically excluded from the Antichrist grasp. In this final battle. Jesus will destroy the armies of the Antichrist, the Bible said, with the brightness of his coming. It's going to be, in my mind, almost like just, just reeling the sun in and putting it just right close to the planet. Just People will be just destroyed just by the brightness of Christ. This is why the Bible said no man has seen God at any time and lived. This is a time when they will see God and they won't live either. He'll destroy him with the brightness of his coming. And at the same time, he will cast the Antichrist and the false prophet into the lake of fire. And then Jesus will establish the millennial kingdom reigning from Jerusalem, judge the nations of the world who have survived the tribulation, a process that will take several weeks. Those who've died during the tribulation will uh, uh, will be buried and disposed of and what have you. And, uh, but the Bible is very clear that Jesus is coming back with ten thousands of his saints. <clears throat> you know, it just occurred to me that after the marriage supper of the Lamb, those of us that are planning on being raptured prior to the tribulation, we'll have a seven-year uh, dinner feast in heaven. Of course, it won't feel like seven years there. There'll be no time there. But we're coming back here on our honeymoon. Isn't that neat? You leave the earth, glad to get out of this place, but this is where Jesus is bringing you back for the honeymoon, man. A thousand-year honeymoon, Or you'll rule and reign with him. I'm saying the word honeymoon very loosely here tonight. But the Bible said he'll come back with ten thousands of his saints and set up a kingdom, and we'll rule and reign with him. The millennium will last a thousand years. Imprisonment and subsequent loosing of Satan will occur. Satan is bound in the bottomless pit for a thousand years to allow the nations of the world to be restored during this kingdom age, to live free from deception and sin and what have you. However, they will still have to grapple with the sinful condition that they will continue to inherit from their parents, the survivors of the tribulation period, who did not somehow take the mark of the beast. There are some that believe that will happen. I struggle with it, but uh, perhaps it will happen because... um, There's still going to be an incorruptible seed in mankind even after the millennium. The reason I know that is the Bible said that Satan is going to be loose for a short time at the end of the thousand years of peace. And uh, he'll tempt the nations again and there will be people that will fall for his temptation. After that, he will be bound and cast into the lake of fire forever. God will set up what we know as the Bible teaches as a white throne judgment. And those who were a part of the millennium will stand before God in my opinion. And if your name is found written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you're going to heaven. If it's not, you go to hell with everybody else. That's how it's going to end. And after that, it'll be heaven or hell. Uh, I do not believe in any way, shape, or form that there's some medium place between heaven and hell. I don't believe there's a place that's not so bad as hell and a place not so great as heaven that people have a choice to go to. I don't believe you can be prayed out of one into the other. Bottom line, it's all going to come down to this. If you're right with God, you'll be in heaven to rejoice forever and ever. If uh, you're not right with God, you'll be lost for an eternity. You want to be here? Not me. Not me. And uh, if time permits, we can get into, I know something's going to happen to this planet, even though Jude said it will ultimately be destroyed by fire. People talk about a new heaven, a new earth. The Bible talks about new heaven, new earth. Maybe we'll have time. We'll get into some of that. But if you would show up back here next Wednesday night in force, bring people with you, and uh, perhaps I'd like for you to start thinking this way. Last Wednesday night, we heard from the Lord in such a tremendous, tremendous way. I'm going to ask you folks, especially our core group here tonight, you know who you are, to come back next Wednesday night and. Let's plan on a little prayer time when it's over. I'm not going to teach this long. I had to go through this long, long thing to, uh, to build a foundation for what's coming. But maybe there will be some people here next Wednesday night that wants to renew their relationship with God, that wants to get back right with God. I think we need to provide that atmosphere for them. Everybody say amen. So uh, plan on that next week. Maybe we can have some uh, post, post-service music. We might even have a little pre-service music, and if the Lord leads, we might can even have a little mid-service music. Not making light of that, just just think it's kind of humorous. But uh, anyway, just come open-minded, open-hearted next Wednesday night, and let's have a great time in the Holy Ghost. I have an announcement that I want to make this coming Sunday about the next couple of what will be going on, what we're hoping will happen in the next couple of months at Grace. I hope it goes on for longer than that. We'll be talking about that next Sunday, so you'll understand this coming Sunday why I'm saying what I'm saying tonight. Thank the Lord. God bless you. you glad you came? And You all said amen collectively, but if I called on you individually, would you still say amen? Would you glad you came? Brother, uh, no, never mind. I'm not going to do that. Thank the Lord. God bless you. Stand with me. I'm glad you came. Glad you're here. To our guest here tonight, welcome. We're so glad you came. Please, Please feel free to come and be uh, with us again. And I invite somebody out with you. We have some work to do. Not only do I not want to go through the tribulation, I don't want my worst enemy to go through the tribulation. Heaven is made for everybody. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. If you're here tonight and you're questioning whether you're right with God or not, now is the time, now is the time to do whatever it takes to make your calling and election sure, to, to make up your mind, I'm going to live for God with all of my heart. I'm going to give everything I've got to the kingdom. Now is the time to do that. Don't wait, don't wait, don't wait. Please don't wait. Thank the Lord. God bless you tonight. Jesus, we love you. We're thankful for the word of God. I'm so thankful tonight that I can read the middle of the book.